I'm excited to share with you this morning. Um, thankful for allowing giving me an opportunity to um, bring a message to you that's um, on my heart, and I think from God as well. And I think hopefully it's going to. My goal this morning is to motivate us and encourage us, but also to challenge us. And so I hope that you'll you'll feel that this morning. In the fall of 2008, um, I endured one of the hardest months of my entire life. Um, I was a middle school girls basketball coach. Um, that in and of itself tells you, if you don't know about middle school girls, they cry a lot. Um, and I, I, I don't. So, um, But I was coaching a middle school girls basketball team. We were getting ready to start our third season. I put our team together. We would had tryouts. I was walking into a day one of practice. And as I was walking into the gym, I got a phone call. And long story short, here's what happened. Somebody at the high school had turned in a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, there were no names. There was no information except my name. And that piece of paper was basically making an allegation or accusing me of having been involved in an inappropriate relationship with a student. For the next four weeks, I walked through this whole process of meeting with Knox County um, Education uh, members and, and boards went down and met with the uh, Knoxville Police Department, sat down with in, investigators, sat down with detectives tasked with talking to me, uh, volunteered to go in and take a polygraph test to do whatever I could to expedite this process to show that there was no validity to this claim. Gave them the name of every girl I'd ever coached, every girl I'd ever had in my student ministry. They called all of them. Asked them questions about my character, about my interaction with them, about the relationship that I'd had with them, the nature I'd had with them, if they had ever felt uncomfortable around me. And this entire time, I'm not allowed to coach, I'm not allowed to teach, I'm not allowed to be anywhere on school property. And at the end of those four weeks, they came back to me and said, Mr. Kelly, we're, we apologize that you've had to go through this. I hope you understand the need for the investigation, of course, which I did. So basically what we found is that there's, there's no validity to this. We haven't found any evidence that supports it. No one has said anything in, in a derogatory way to your character. Best we can assume is that somebody got mad, but they didn't make the basketball team. Maybe a kid, maybe a parent, maybe a, a friend, a student. Somebody got mad and they thought, you know what, we're going to go after this guy. We're going to get him out. And that wasn't shocking to me. I had a couple of people who had tried to get the position or get me out of that job before because they wanted it. So that wasn't surprising news to me. But it didn't change the fact. Man, it was a rough month of walking through that. And that entire time that I dealt with that, my family walked alongside me the whole way, but so did my church. I was a part-time student pastor at a small church in South Knoxville. And I still very clearly and very vividly remember my pastor, Joel Tilson, and my children's minister, Donna Blades, um, and our students and the parents of that church just serving as a source of constant love and encouragement and prayer for me. They constantly came to me and said, Jeff, just keep trusting in God. He is going to vindicate you. You lean on God. You trust God. He's going to vindicate you. And he did. And and. He used that. He gave me an opportunity to share with my girls later on that season the importance of integrity and the importance of character and how sometimes you're going to get attacked from all angles when you don't expect it and all you're going to have to stand on is who you are 
and your character and your integrity. And it was rough, but I tell you what, in that moment, I was so thankful for the community of faith that God had placed me in. A couple years ago, Crystal and I here at First Baptist Goodsville decided we were going to begin that process of expanding our family. And we didn't get very far into that process before we ran into some roadblocks that we didn't know about. And we discovered that we were going to have some fertility issues that we weren't expecting. And so we began this two-year journey of highs and lows and good news and bad news and um, positive information and, and negative things. We had a lot of questions. We didn't understand everything. And God took us on that journey before he gave us the wild man that is Lincoln. And through that entire process, our family walked alongside of us the whole way, and so did our church. Lyle and Susan walked step for step with us through that. Our Sunday school class walked step for step through us with that. Many of you as friends and family walked step for step with us through that and prayed for us and loved us and encouraged us. And again, it was another one of those moments I thought, man, I'm so thankful for the community of faith that God has got me in. And I want to talk this morning about community a little bit because I think it, it fits exactly with what, we're doing, with what we've been talking about. We're talking about spiritual habits, the things that, that God uses to form us and to shape us and to make us into who he's called us to be. And we've been using these pictures of um, a pinata. We've talked about you don't want to be a pinata. They look fun and festive and happy and, and, and fun from the outside. But we've talked about how the pinatas, they're, they're hollow. They're empty inside. There's nothing there. And we've talked about how that's, that's unfortunately a lot of times descriptive of our faith. That we might look like we kind of have things together and we're going the right way, but inside we're hollow. There's nothing there. And we've talked about how we don't want to be a pinata. We want to be more like an iceberg. We want to be more like um, something that maybe not looks as flashy from the outside, but has great depth and strength and has been formed over time. And if that's who we want to be, as followers of Jesus, we want to have depth and strength and knowledge and have been formed in his ways. And last week, Lyle kind of introduced another picture of this idea of a glacier, right? And he talked about that icebergs form as part of a glacier. That's where they start, right? And then eventually those icebergs break off from the glacier. But this is where it all forms and happens together. And this morning, what I want to talk about for several minutes with you is community, this idea of community. Because I think that when we walk through this and talk through this together, I think we're going to be able to see that, in a sense, community is that glacier that God wants to use in our lives to form us and to grow us. We're, as, if, as we're striving to be icebergs in our faith, we have to start by being plugged in to a strong community. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. And uh, community is not a man-made word. It's not an idea that some early church father had. It's not an idea that some early you know, philosopher had. Community was established and created by God. Community is God-ordained. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, you think that when God made us, he made us to be in relationships. He made us to be in relation with him. He made us to be in relationship with each other. He made us to be in relation with creation. That's a good rhyme if you need one, okay? He made us to be in relation with all those things. We are, we're made to be relational beings. We're not called, not purposed in this life to try to do it on our own. 
We're not called on our life to kind of be going lone wolf through everything. God created us to be relational. He created us to be a part of community. Now, some of us are a little more relational than others. Some of us like people a little more than others. Some of our wives like to talk and be relational more than others. That's why we never get out of the church until 2.30, no matter what time we get done on Sundays. So we're all different, but it doesn't change the fact that we're all relational. God has made us to be in community. But like a lot of other things that God has created and ordained, our world has taken it, that idea of community, and they've claimed it, and they've changed it, and they've cheapened it. How many of you are on Facebook? Several. Some of you are like, nope, I'm off. Okay? Good job. All right? You would be surprised how many people in first service raise their hand on Facebook. I was like, come on, first service. If you're on Facebook, then you are part of the Facebook community, right? And what does that mean? simply means you have a Facebook account. If your Facebook is anything like mine, there are people on your Facebook account that are friends of yours that you have not spoken to in at least two years or more. If your Facebook is anything like mine, there are people on your Facebook account who are friends with you that you don't even know. They're friends of a friend that Facebook suggested that you should be friends and you just said, okay, whatever, get off. I just want to check my news feed. And these people start popping up on your wall and you're like, who is that? I still have people scroll through. I'm like, I don't even know that name. Who are you? How did you get on my wall? And the reason why they call this the Facebook community is because the world's definition of community is really, really simplistic. If you look up the word community online, you'll find something like this. Community is really simple. It's a group of people. It can be a religious group or a social group or any type of group. And what makes them a community is that this group of people, they share some type of common characteristic or interest. Okay? And then on top of that, they also perceive themselves as distinct in some way from the larger society from which it exists, right? So when we talk about the Facebook community, what's our common characteristic in the Facebook community? you got a Facebook. That's it, okay? And how do we perceive ourselves as being distinct from everybody else? There's billions of people on planet Earth. Not everybody's on Facebook. Not everybody in this room is on Facebook. So we, as a Facebook community, we're distinct in the fact that we have one. And that's their definition of community. That's it. When I go to Wrigley Field and watch my world champion Chicago Cubs, I'm just so happy to say that right now. <laughs> Lyle prayed that I didn't need to say that backstage, but I said, no, nah, I'm going I'm to have to say it because I don't know if I'll get to say it again. When I go to Wrigley Field and watch my world champion Chicago Cubs, I immediately in that moment become part of the Cubs community. I don't know the people beside me, in front of me, behind me, but as soon as Anthony Rizzo jacks one over the right field bleachers, we are high-fiving and fist-bumping like we have known each other our entire lives. Because in that moment, we are community. What's our common characteristic? We love the Cubbies. What makes us distinct? We love the Cubbies, and we're in the uh, Wrigley Field in that moment. When does that community end? As soon as the ball game's over. As soon as I walk out. I'm not going to see these people ever again. Some of them, glad to not ever see them ever again. But that's the world's definition of community. Hey, you got one thing, one random thing in common with each other? Cool. You can be community together. And it's hollow and it's empty. And what I want to look at this morning is I, I 
feel confidently that God's Word teaches us that is not what God meant community to look like or to be. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 for a few minutes this morning, and then we're going to kind of bounce around all over the place. But Paul, in his letter to the church at, at Ephesus, writes and gives us a really, really clear picture of what it looks like to be in one community, in one group. And he kind of lays it out there for us. And if, if you're here this morning and you're a part of First Baptist Gulletsville, then this should resonate with you. If you're here as a guest, but you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this should resonate with you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then this may sound like something that's kind of out there to you. But I think it also may sound something like something that's appealing to you. This is what he says in Ephesians 2. Paul writes this. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. So dirty name-calling trash talking started a long time ago. Okay? Hopefully none of you have been called uncircumcised heathens anytime lately. Okay? He says, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. He says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. He says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, don't you love those in Scripture? But now or but God? It changes everything, right? But now, you who were far away, you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has uh, brought peace to us. He's united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and its regulations. He says that he made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. And now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together, We are his house. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus, the cornerstone, is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Really, really simplistic picture that Paul kind of tosses out there. He says... Here's the thing. God never ordained for community to be done without him. Community was never meant to be found anywhere apart from God. The thing that unites us in this place this morning is pretty simplistic when you read the scripture, right? What is what is the thing that we all are united by? What is it? Yeah, we can say we can say that. What a wonderful name it is. We can say that name with some with some fervor. What unites us? It's Jesus, right? That's it. We are united in community through Jesus. We are united in community. We're brought together into one people, into one fellowship through Jesus. Now, what does that look like, right? 
We're First Baptist Church, Bulletsville. We're a Bible-believing Christian church. So this is not groundbreaking. That we're, we're united in community through Jesus. That's the one thing that kind of holds us all together. And when you think about it, that's not necessarily a small thing because there are a lot of different people in this room. We have Kentucky fans in here. We have Tennessee fans in here. We have Vanderbilt fans in here. We have Alabama fans in here. We have some people who do not care at all about any sports in here. We got people in here who love football season. We got some people that love basketball season. We got some people that love baseball season. We got some people who want chicken for dinner. We got some people who want steak for dinner. We got some people who, when they think about vacation, they think about the beach. We got some people, when they think about the vacation, they think about Gatlinburg and the mountains. We're different. God has made us different. We're, we're an eclectic group of people in this place. But the one thing that unites us all together and makes us community is what? Jesus. It's Jesus. So what should that look like? Well, we find out in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And here's where we kind of talk, right? Let us think of ways to motivate one another and to motivate one another to acts of love and to motivate one another to acts of good works. He keeps going. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the days of his return is drawing near. So we're all here this morning. We're united in community because of Jesus Christ. What should that look like? It should look like a group of people who are focused on motivating one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, to live lives that are centered around Christ. Isn't that groundbreaking in the church, that we should be centered around Christ? At First Baptist Gillisville, Everything that we teach, everything that we preach, every Sunday school class, every program, every youth event, every children's event, everything that we do around at this church should be centered around Christ. Amen? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What else should we be centered around? Nothing, right? Everything that we do should be centered around Christ Jesus. That's what's made us who we are. We are united because of Christ Jesus. But here's where I think things get a little bit different. Is the church meant to stay inside these four walls? No, right? God's called us out. God's called us out. So what do we do? What do we do with this Christian community? What do we do with this Christ-centered community that we have here at the church? What are we supposed to do with that? I think we find in Scripture that this, is that you and I are supposed to be the bearers of Christ-centered community wherever we go. I'm not saying that, you know, we can't be plugged in other communities. We obviously know we are. Maybe you're plugged in at your, at your child's school PTA. Maybe you're a ball coach. You coach soccer or basketball or football. Maybe your community is just the people you work with. Maybe you are a teacher. Maybe you have um, another outlet where you have what you would call community. As people who are centered on our lives around Christ, our job is not just to go into that community and participate in it like everybody else does. Our task is to go into that community and be the bearers of Christ-centered community. Our job is to take Christ-centered community Wherever we go. Here's the thing. I love, I love our church. I love our church. 
And if I were to go around and ask most of the people in the room this morning, do you think our church does community well? A lot of you would probably say, yes, I do think we do it well. And I would agree with you. But let me ask you this. Can we do it better? Because asking that question is not, an, is not an indictment that we're completely failing or we're completely missing the mark. It's just an indictment of we're talking about becoming icebergs. We're talking about growing and forming. So when we talk about community, can we do it better? Can we grow? Can we improve? I think our church is, is an awesome place. I love being here. But can we grow? Are there ways that we can be better at being the image bearers of Christ in our community as we go? And so this morning, I'm going to give you six characteristics of what I think Christ-centered community looks like based on Scripture. Okay? And here's what I want you to think about this morning. As we go through these, I want you to think kind of from a two-style attack. All right? Number one, I want you to think about our, our church, our community of believers right here. I want you to think about, as we, as we go through these, I want you to think, does our church do this well? Is our church hitting the mark here? Or is there ways that we could be better at this? And then also, secondly, I want you to think about your own personal life. And think, how am I doing here? Because our community of, of Christ-centered fellowship, it's only going to be as strong as who? As us, Right? So as we examine our own hearts, we may need to say, hey, you know what? I'm not necessarily growing here. Or maybe I'm kind of struggling here. And I need to work in this area of my life so that I can contribute to our community in an even stronger way. Okay, so you tracking with me? All right, so here, here's number one. This is what first characteristic I think of Christ-centered community. And I think it's grace-filled. I think Christ-centered community is grace-filled. Okay. Um, I'm going to rapid fire some Bible verses at you for these next few minutes, because if we pulled every single verse that speaks to these things from Scripture, we would be here for a long time. Right. But if you look throughout Scripture, there are so many verses that speak to this. Colossians 4, 6 says that let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everybody. Jesus himself says in Luke 6, 36, he says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. In uh, Colossians uh, 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. As followers of Jesus, we are called out to be a people who are grace-filled. If somebody new walks in those doors this morning, they should walk in with a 100% chance of finding grace in this place. There should not be, is it, will I find it? Maybe, who knows? No, it should be a 100% chance that when they walk in, they experience grace because of God's people. And then we also then point people, those folks, to the Father of grace. How many of you, I know we don't do a ton of hymns in here. How many of you say, if I ask this question, how many of your favorite hymn is Amazing Grace? How sweet this sound. We got anybody? We got a few folks. One of my favorite songs that we sing here in second service quite a bit is This is Amazing Grace. It's, you probably know that because I sing it a lot. Why do you think we love to sing about grace so much? I wonder if it's because we know how much we need it. Every single one of us in this room is in need of grace. We need grace in our marriages. My wife can amen that. There are moments I need grace because I messed up and did the wrong thing. 
We need grace in our friendships. We need grace in our church. We need grace in our families. All of us in this room are in need of grace. Christ-centered community should be grace-filled. Our church should be grace-filled. But also when we take it from here outside and we begin and we're on the ball field or we're in the school or we're at our workplace, we should be the people who are modeling lives that are grace-filled. That when people encounter us, they're not worried about, is that person going to judge me? Is that person going to be bitter at me? No, no, no. They know that when they come to us, they find grace. Because we've been the recipients of grace. So I think first, Christ-centered community is grace-filled. I think the second thing is that I think Christ-centered community is a place of encouragement. It should be a place of encouragement, right? If you look again, Ephesians 4.29 says this, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and be helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Um, if you look in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, um, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. The verse we shared just a minute ago from Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let's encourage one another. Christ in your community is all about encouragement. Lala and I joke joke around all the time about we have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Because it's fun to kind of say a joke here and there and get a chuckle and get a laugh. But I also know this. I've I've experienced it so many times in my life that my sarcastic comment did not happen or it wasn't funny. And it it was a moment that was hurtful. I can tell you this. I've never been hurt by an encouraging word. Never. Um, I, Mike Allen's in the service. Mike Allen is one of my biggest encouragers, man. He sends me a letter. He'll bring me a random box of golf balls or a jar of peanut butter. He knows me, man. He knows me. He'll pull me aside after something and just, and just offer words of encouragement. And that means a ton to me. I've got a whole crew of my youth moms Lisa Brooks and Jackie Norman and Kathy Decker and all this whole crew, Dana, who will just send me texts sometimes or say something and just say, man, we love you. We appreciate your family. And those encouraging words, man, they, it's like refueling the gas tank. I've never been hurt by an encouraging word. You know what the number one prayer request is in church, the Baptist church? Unspoken. How many of you have been in Sunday school class, man? Anybody got a prayer request? I got seven unspokens. Why do we say unspoken all the time? Because I think sometimes we don't know what we're going to receive. Are we going to find people who are grace-filled and encouraging, or are we going to find judgment? Are we going to find pity or sympathy? Christ in your community, man, it should be all about encouraging. When you walk in this place, that we ought to be fighting over each other to encourage each other. Now, just those two that we've talked about. Does that not sound like the type of community you want to be involved in? I want to be somewhere where it's grace-filled and people are encouraging me. And that's just the first two. Here's the third thing I think. I think Christ-centered community is all about accountability. Okay? Now, we are all about encouraging each other. We're all about grace. We're all about loving each other. But let's also be very clear. God has given us a standard. Amen? God has given us his word that is the standard for how we are to live our lives. Our culture wants everybody to think that there is no absolute truth. That is false. God's word is very 
clear, cut, and concise that His Word is truth. That is our standard by which we live. That is what we're called to live by. God says, how, if we say, God, how should we live our lives? Here it is. And Scripture teaches that we are supposed to be accountable with one another. If you look in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, a verse that we probably know, you've heard it several times. As, orange, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know who your best friends are, right? Your best, your best friends are not the people who tell you what you want to hear. They're the people who tell you what? What you need to hear. And we don't love that. We like to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. It's way more pleasant. But here's what we can say about somebody who will tell you what you need to hear. Their love for you is immeasurable. They love you more than you realize if they're willing to step up and tell you what you need to hear, even when it's not popular. We see also a um, really, really important verse here in James five sixteen. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if anyone, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, and notice the words who are highlighted here, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You know what I see a lot on Facebook nowadays? Not that. Ooh, this person's wrong. Let me slap them with the Bible. Let me come and just hammer them with the Bible. As opposed to remembering what Scripture says is, no, no, no. Let's go after those folks. Let's love on those folks, but let's do it humbly and gently. Let's hold each other accountable, but let's do it humbly and and gently. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. It produces wonderful results. He goes on to say in verses 19 and 20, that my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. God has called us to be accountable with one another. Part of Christian community is being accountable with each other. It's being willing to say to somebody, hey, I know you don't want to hear this, but you need to hear it. Hey, there's something in your life I know that, that you're kind of going this way, and I just want to come and love you and say that's not where you need to be going. And not because we've got it all figured out, but simply because God's Word teaches us that that's not where we need to be. You know how I know when a student, in, in over my 20 years of student ministry, the way I know when a student is beginning to drift away from the Lord, you know how I know it? They quit showing up. When I've got a kid who's plugged in and involved in youth ministry and all of a sudden they go AWOL, almost 95% of the time I can walk and say, there's something going on. Now, I can pray for them and try to pray them back into church. And that's important. But what does God's Word tell us to do? Man, we go after them. If we love that person and we care for them, we go after them. Now, accountability is not only about holding other people accountable. There's another phase to accountability as well. And that's us. If I'm going to be a part of this Christ-centered community, I need to hold myself accountable to be an active, growing part of our Christ-centered community. If I'm not doing that, I can't expect other people to do that. It's going to be my, my role. That's one of the things I love about the passage we said earlier in Hebrews when it says don't neglect your meeting together. You hear stats all over the place that people are more and more likely to skip church on Sundays and Wednesdays now because of all this stuff, stuff going on. 
And I, I understand that, and I'm not here to rail against that stuff. But what I want us to understand is that Scripture tells us how important it is for us to meet together. Why is it important for us to meet together? Because this is where we grow in community together. It's important for us to be here so that we can grow in our love and our wisdom and our grace and our accountability together. This should be the place that, man, you are so plugged in here. It's such a joyous time. It's such a joyous community that you're a part of. We're not saying you can't have any other community, but this is where you launch from. This is that glacier that we launch from. But this is also a place we hold each other accountable because we love each other. Not because we're like, ooh, I know what Justin Baggett did. Can't wait to get him wins. No. It's out of love. And Justin's really good, Penny, if you're in here. So you don't have anything to worry about. Here's the fourth thing. I think cross-center community is, is a place of unity. It's a place of unity. It's what it says in Philippians 2.2. 2. It says, to make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. By loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Romans 14, 9, one of my favorite verses about, or 14, 19 about the church. It says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Acts 4, 32, in the, in the beginning of the early church, it said that all the believers were united in heart and mind. This idea of unity. christ inner community is a place of unity. Now, anytime you put 500 people together... You're going to get some different opinions and ideas. But here's the thing, right? How are we all connected together? Jesus. So what unifies us all together? Jesus. Everything in the church doesn't have to look the way that you would want it to or function the way that you would. You know, I think so many times we can look at things and say, well, if I was in charge of that, I'd do it this way, and we wouldn't do that, and we'd change this and we'd change that. And that's not the look we're going for, right? As we look at things, we say, you know what? I don't necessarily know that I would do that that way. But I know that the purpose behind this is the gospel and to reach people for Jesus. So I'm on board. We joke around all the time about the music we do in the two different services. First service is not necessarily everybody's favorite music in this service. Second service is not everybody's favorite music in the first service, right? But here's what I love about our first service crowd is we have some people in that first service crowd who don't necessarily love our music that we do in here. But they've come to me and they said, you know what, that's not necessarily my thing. But I know that you're, the reason we do that is to share the gospel and to reach people for Jesus. So go on. That's encouraging, man, to be unified like that. One purpose. Some of us in this room are OCD, though. We like to control things. We like to have things go the way we want to. And that's where God's like, you got to let that go. We got to be unified. You got to be all about the mission and the purpose, which is God's name, God's glory, God's fame. If the church is doing that, get on board. Doesn't have to look the way we want it to. And that goes for all of us in this room. It goes for me as a staff member. It doesn't have to look the way I always want it to look. To be unified. So again, just think about this. Doesn't this sound like the type of community you want to be a part of? Where there's grace, there's encouragement, there's unity. There's accountability. Here's the fifth thing. 
I think Christ-centered community is inclusive, not exclusive. Christ-centered community is inclusive, not exclusive. Another word you could sub in for inclusive is inviting. Christ-centered community is inviting. The reason why I didn't use the word invite is because I love the word inclusive, but it it gives you this word image of take the word inclusive is about taking your arms and wrapping them around in someone in an embrace and bringing them in. You think about invite, you know, hey, you want to come to something? Well, they didn't show up. Well, I invited them. I did my part. We'll invite somebody to something once or twice. And if they say no, we think, okay, cool. I tried. They said no. The idea of being inclusive. No, 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 no. It's not just an invite. It's a hold on. I'm coming in for a bear hug. We're going to pull you in. We're going to make you a part of what we're doing. Our church has been around for a long time. Long time. Some of y'all are in Sunday school classes with people you've been in Sunday school class with for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Right? And you love that group of people. And we say, amen. I'm so thankful for that community. But sometimes if we get somebody new coming into the church, those classes are hard to come into. Because even, as, even if we're welcoming and inviting, it's, it's a different thing to be completely inclusive, to bring somebody in. Since we went to our, our, the last time we changed our services, we started four Sunday school classes. We started a women's class. We started a men's class. We started a, um, a couple's class. Um, and then we started a kind of a new, nearly young kids on the way, almost here class. And all four of those classes are growing. And not because somebody in the church decided we were going to hop to a different Sunday school class. Those classes are growing because new people are coming in and finding inclusiveness and being included and brought in. You think about your work. Are, when you go to your, works, your, your job site, are you that in person that's inclusive? You want to include everybody in what's going on. Think about being a ball coach on the, on the court or on the field. Are you inclusive for all of them? Even that kid that's terrible, that you can't figure out how to get in the game. <laughs> You're like, if I put them in, we're going to lose. Are you finding a way to be inclusive and pull that kid and that family in and say, hey, we, we love you. You're a part of what we're doing. Because here's what Christ did for every single one of us in this room. We were outside, and he took his arms out, and he wrapped them around us, and he embraced us and brought us in. We better be real thankful that our God is inclusive and offers himself up for all of us. That's what Christ-centered community looks like. Here's the last thing. I think that Christ-centered community, this kind of wraps it all up, is to be replicated or reproduced. Listen, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good if we form into these iceberg, massive uh, Christians who have great wealth of knowledge and great understanding of God's word and um, we've walked through life and we've seen God's faithfulness and his grace and his mercy. And we've, we've experienced all that. If we don't break off from the glacier and share that, then what are we doing? Replication, reproduction. God has called us to go and make disciples. He's called us to go and take this idea of Christian community wherever we go with us. I think about what we're doing over at Goodlessville Elementary School. Are we doing that so that we can get the news crew down here to put us on TV? Why are we doing that? Right? We want to love the school. We want to encourage the school. 
But here's the other thing we want to do. We want to replicate Christian community in that school. Now, we're not going to go kick the door down with the Bible over our head because that's probably going to get Metro to shut the doors real fast. You say, well, how can we do that? I think it's really simple. When we go into Goodlesville Elementary School, we go in as people who are grace-filled, who are encouraging, who are going to be accountable and hold that school accountable, but we're going to be unified behind what they're doing. We're going to be inclusive for every kid and family that we come in contact with, and we're going to reproduce the faith that Christ has given us wherever we go. Man, that's, that's Christ in your community right there. That's taking it out of here. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 again, or 23 through 25, I shared as we kind of close this morning. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can't be trusted to keep it, or God can be trusted to keep his promise. It's a big typo. Don't read that. Sorry, Lord. Let us think of ways. Let us think of ways in this community to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. My question this morning is, what are you bringing to the community? Are you contributing to the community? Is this, is this community here at First Baptist, are we more of who God's called us to be because of what you're bringing? Are you helping us be more grace-filled? Are you helping us be a church that is encouraging? Are you helping us be a church that's unified? Or are there some areas where you say, man, whew, I got to work on that. I got to work on that. I love this church. I do. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love the people of this church. We have good people here. But as a church, can we be better? As God's people, can we be better? Who God's called us to be. I think our church is doing some awesome things. We had a missions meeting at Deb Baca's house, Deb and Rick's house on Friday night. Um, and we had about a two-and-a-half-hour meeting, which a lot of you are like, whoo, never signed up for missions committee if that's how long the, mission, the meetings are. But Deb and Randy Brooks and myself and David Jackson and Sarah Scheide and Miss Rachel McCorkle got to sit there and talk for two hours about all of the awesome, amazing things that God is doing in this church. Lots of things that are done by people who aren't directed by us. We've got a crew who leads room at the end. We've got a crew who handles lynch. We've got a crew that's doing ministry at Mason's. We've got a crew who goes down the next door. People who are faithfully serving and taking the community out of here. And as I left that meeting, I just thought, man, it's just so joyful to be a part of a community that is focused on living out God's call. And taking that community elsewhere. But as I was preparing this message this morning, I thought, but are we doing all we can? Can we do more? Can I do more? Do I need to rearrange some things in my life so I can do more? Do I need to rearrange some things in my life so that I can be a better part of this community? So that's where I want you to I want you to be encouraged this morning that community is a blessing from God and you can be a part of it. You can be an active part of it. You can be as active as you want to be. But I also want us to be convicted and look at, hold on a second. What else can I do? How am I doing? How are we as a church doing? 
Is there more we can do? We have a time of response this morning, and uh, it's going to be kind of across the board, different opportunities. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. They're going to lead uh, a song called Center that simply just talks about having Christ as the center of our life, having Christ at the center of our community. Some of you this morning, you may be here and you say, that sounds awesome. I would love to be a part of that type of community. But here's the thing. I don't have that common bond that you do. I've never given my life to Christ. I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that common characteristic that you do. The best thing, as Paul told us in Ephesians 2, is that Christ gave himself on the cross for all of us. And if you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, you can enter into that community. And if that's you this morning, if you say, I need to put my faith in Jesus, I need to talk about what it means to give my life to Christ, we say, come on down. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to lead you in that decision this morning if that's what you need to do. Some of you this morning, you may be here, your visitors. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe this is your number one week. And you think, I want to be a part of a church that's Christ-centered. I want to be a part of a church that has community like that. My response to you is, come on down. We ready. We are ready to take our arms and wrap them around you and bring you in that inclusive love. We want you to be a part of our fellowship. Well, I don't know. What does joining mean? Joining means you're going to put roots in here. And you're going to help us be the community that God's called us to be. If you need to come this morning and join our community, man, we, we would love to have you be a part of First Baptist. Some of you have been here a long time, long time. And maybe this morning you've just kind of been challenged with, hey, there, there is a couple areas that I think our church could be better at. There are a couple areas that I think I could do more in or I need to... I need to kind of get some things right in my life maybe this morning you just need to come and humbly ask god to help you and give you the strength to make changes that you need to make maybe you've been coming for a while and you say i've been coming to this church for six months or a year or more and i still haven't found community first off let me say i'm sorry as a church that we have not done a better job of of welcoming you and plugging you in but i'll tell you this i would love if you're if that's you this morning i would love to take you to lunch sometime or have lyle let us take you to lunch sometime and let's sit down and talk about where your passions are and where your heart is and i promise you we will connect you with community in this church because we're it's here sometimes it may not always be easy to find but it's here so maybe you may be saying i don't i i don't know how to take that community out I am a ball coach. I am a teacher. I am at a, at a place where I have some influence. But how do, I, how do I model that? How do I take my cross-center community where I'm going? Again, we would love to take you to lunch and let's sit down and talk about, hey, you're a ball coach? Awesome. You have a unique community that you get to work with. Let's talk about how you are going to use that to model Christ-centered community for your people. The real question this morning is real simple. Can we do more? Can we be better at community? Not that we're terrible. Can we be better at community? And are you willing to say, you know what, we can be, and I'm going to be part of the crew that makes that change. So as the band comes up this morning, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite you. If you need to respond this morning, this morning come on down. I'll be down here. Uh, Lyle will be out here. If you need us to pray with you, we have to pray. Um,
you need to talk, we'd be happy to talk. If you want to join, we'd be happy to get you joined up this morning. If you need to accept Jesus Christ and have your life changed forever, we'd be so happy to celebrate that with you this morning. So let's pray that God will move your heart, stir your heart to be obedient this morning. Okay, let's pray together.